0: audio ground school podcast. Hey pilots, it's Nick. Sorry for interrupting. We'll get to the lesson here in a little bit, but I really, really think you'll want to hear this. We're introducing a brand new scholarship. It's going to be annual thing that we're going to combine with one of our $1,000 scholarships in the spring. So if you've been following us, you know that I do four $1,000 scholarships to members of our online ground school. You have to be in the online ground school, and we do four $1,000 scholarships a year out of my own pocket. Now what I'm going to do is the one in the spring, around springtime. I'm going to combine that with a crowdsource GoFundMe scholarship. So basically if you're in the online ground school and you applied to the scholarship, our thousand dollars scholarship, you're already eligible for this one. But if you're not in the online ground school and you want to have a chance to get a scholarship, all you have to do is you have to donate $10 to the GoFundMe for the scholarship, just $10. That's all you have to do. And then you have to fill out a small application. I'll put both those links in the show notes and I've wanted to do something like this since I very started my first Instagram and Facebook helping student pilots. And I now finally have a platform of over 11,000 followers to be able to do that. So think about it. If we get 2,000 of just just 2,000 of the 11,000 followers to sign up to do $10, right? That's $20,000 that we can give away in scholarships. And here's the really cool part i'm not going to take any of the money i'm going to promote it for a month beforehand all for free and i'm going to give it all away the only thing that's taken out is like three percent fee from gofundme but i can't help that so it's all going to go and again i'm going to combine it with one of our thousand dollar scholarships so i'll start it off with the first thousand dollar donation and then to apply you either have to be in the online ground school or you have to donate ten dollars and let's see how high we can get that up it's going to be the same deadline as the next $1,000 scholarship, which is May 14th. All right, thank you for listening. Again, check the links out in the show notes. Hey, pilots, it's Nick here from Part-Time Pilot. Did you guys know that you didn't have to spend $1,200 or $1,000 or even $600 to get your very own pair of headsets? Now, when I first heard of core headsets, core aviation headsets, I heard from a friend. I had to check them out myself because he said he only got them for $100. At the time, I was borrowing from a pair of David Clarks from my flight school, and I was borrowing these broken down. They, They always had issues, and they were always sweaty from the previous student, so I was very... Curious, I ended up getting gifted a pair of Bose headsets a $1200 pair of Bose headsets But I still wanted to check out a pair of core aviation headsets And I was super amazed at the amount it compared to my expensive Bose headsets And it made me think You know, I was gifted those Bose headsets, but I would never have especially as a student pilot Bought something so expensive at the beginning of my training career. So these are the perfect flight headsets for a student pilot or a private pilot and you can get the p1 version at CoreHeadset.com. you get a p1 version for $199.99 right now they're having a sale and or you can get their ka1 version which I just bought another pair because I want to see what kind of updates they've made even though my previous ka1s are still working today after three years and I've never had one single comm failure with them anyways the ka1s are also on sale on one at $194.99. You can get your brand new quality headsets and it even comes with a five year warranty. And then the best part about all of this is, I already told you it's on sale and they have free shipping, but you can get an additional 10% off if you use the coupon code part-time pilot. That's part-time pilot with no spaces. Use the coupon code to get 10% off free shipping, plus the sale that they're already having for your very own quality pair of headsets that I myself recommend, highly, highly recommend for a beginner headset student pilot. So go check that out at coreheadset.com. That's core with a -A K-K-O-R-E-H-E-A-D-S-E-T. That's coreheadset.com and use the coupon code part-time pilot. I'll also put a link in the show notes. Hey pilots, this is Nick again. Did you guys know that part-time pilot now has a private pilot test prep book that you can buy on amazon it's a physical book that you can buy on amazon to help prep for your faa written exam so it's like the other test prep books out there you know the jepson asa or the gleam glime however you pronounce it it's just like those but i called ours the ultimate private pilot test prep because not only does it give you a synopsis of each subject, like the cliff notes, like those other books do. And then it gives you FAA written questions to practice and quiz yourself on to to prep for the test. But it also goes much, much further. And that's why we call it the ultimate private pilot test prep book. So for each subject, it also has a QR code so that as you're reading it, you if you want more information, you can scan the QR code on your phone or your tablet, and it will immediately pull up a YouTube video that you can watch on the subject. There's also QR codes in there for additional downloads, in, including FAA PDFs, subject area checklists, and more PDFs for from us that you can download for free. It also includes a Coupon code and QR code where you can go enroll in online practice tests for free and receive the PDF version of the book completely free. All that is with simple, easy to use QR codes inside the book. And then we also, not only does it have the cliff notes of all the information, but it also includes mnemonic devices and visual aids, such as diagrams, tables, and images that are labeled, such as like a METAR that is labeled every single thing that is included and deciphered in the METAR or a TAF. Also the performance charts, step-by-step labeled steps on performance calculation charts. So it's not just cliff note bullet points, it's that plus much, much more these visual aids, all in 404 pages in the ultimate private pilot test prep book. And it is only $37. So you can go check that out on Amazon. I'll put a link in the show notes. So go check it out. Welcome in to the Part-Time Pilot Audio Ground School podcast. In today's episode, we are going to talk about density altitude. It's a tricky subject that confuses a lot of student pilots, and it's a subject because of that and because of its importance to safety and flying, something that gets asked about a lot in oral exams, oral check write exams, and the FAA written exam. So we're going to cover that topic on today's podcast, try to give you some metaphors to really drive home, make sure you understand what that is, what density altitude is and how it works. And when you do finally get over the hump of it being confusing, it really is kind of an easy concept to understand. Now you're probably like easy for you to say, uh, but I mean, it, it really is. It, it takes a bit. I was confused about it at first, but once you kind of get over that edge and you understand what's going on, it is an easy topic. Before we get to that, I have a couple announcements. Again, I mentioned this on the last episode, but May 14th is the deadline date for the next part-time pilot, the 10th part-time pilot on ground school scholarship. And it's And then we also give a runner up free ground school, which is a value of about $250. The deadline is May 14th. You have to be a member of the online ground school. And then in your welcome email, there'll be a link to an application that you apply to. And then I don't think I mentioned this on the last episode, but there's some more instructions in there that you got to tag us on social media or something like that. If you don't have social media, send us an email and let us know that you don't have a social media account and you can't do that. And then you got to leave us a review at trustpilot.com. I will actually link that in the show notes, trustpilot.com. Um, the, our part-time pilot page on there. It's not anything to do that website. is isn't anything to do with pilots. It just so happens that the name is Trustpilot. They're actually a, a certified review website. So they make sure that like people can't go on there and falsify reviews and stuff like that. So you can go in there, check out our previous reviews. And then if you join the ground school and apply for scholarship, you can leave a review there. Uh, super easy. So I'll link that in the show notes. But yeah, May 14th is the deadline. We'll probably announce The day after honestly who the winners are i'll shoot you a message an email or a dm or something and then once i hear back from you i'll shoot you the money and you can use the money however you want you know i try to pick people that you know have a need for the money who show you know hard work determination have a good story give good answers and so i know that the person i choose is going to use the money the best way that that they can at the moment and the best way for them. And if if at that moment I I give you that $1,000 and your car breaks down and you can't even make it to work and you need that $1,000 to pay for your car, that's fine. If that makes it so that you can drive to your flight lessons or, or keeps you afloat during that. So you can still pay for flight lessons, whatever. I'm not here to judge how you you do that. So yeah, anyways, May 14th, get that application in. And without further ado, let's get started on lesson 11 density altitude. This is from section seven fundamentals of aerodynamics in your step one private pilot lessons course. So if you're following along in the ground school, again, it's another bonus of getting the ground school. You can read the lesson, you can watch the videos, you can see you know, the mnemonic devices, the visual aids, and you can listen to it. And once you combine all those, you're almost guaranteed to really have a good understanding and make yourself a better pilot. So follow along with us, Section 7, Lesson 11 on Density Altitude. Density altitude is important for all pilots to understand because it corrects the altitude for non-standard temperatures that affect the density of the air. We know from our lift equation, back from our lesson on in our episode on lift, that the density of air directly affects lift. Density has a direct effect on not only the performance of the wings, but also the performance of the engine and the propeller. This can cause landing distances, takeoff distances, fuel consumption, and lifting ability to all be affected by a change in density altitude. So if you're wondering why we have a lesson on altitude stuck here in our Fundamentals of Aerodynamics section, that is why, because density altitude was merely created to give ourselves a measure of the air we're flying through and how it's going to affect the performance and aerodynamic properties of our aircraft, that's it. That's the only reason it is used, it's for performance of our aircraft, and it says a boat or a submarine or something like that, that travels through the medium of water, airplanes, birds, they travel through the medium of air. They're both liquids, one's a gas, one's a liquid, but they're both they're not solids, right? So you can travel through water or you can travel through air, and the medium that we're traveling through is air, and when that medium changes, it's going to affect how well we can travel through it. So think of swimming in the ocean and then swimming in a pool full of molasses. So the molasses is much more dense, it has its viscosity is a bunch of different all these properties of it are much different and makes it much harder to swim through it, for instance, water. So that is a big extreme example of when the density changes in the air, but it's also a good metaphor of what's happening. Sometimes when the density is high, it's easy to fly through it. When the density is low, it's hard to fly through it. And so that's one of the properties of air is changing and it affects how we travel through it. So that's all density altitude is. Now let's break down what density is and then get into the specifics of density altitude. So density density is mass per unit volume. In terms of air, you can describe density as a, a measure of how tightly packed the molecules of air are in a certain volume of space. So inside air you have, you know, like oxygen, you have nitrogen, and you have some trace elements that make up air, right? And those, you know, atoms and molecules when they're tightly packed, you have more dense air. When they're less packed, Think of a room with 100 people in it, like a 200-square-foot room with 100 people in it. That would be super packed. And then a 200-square-foot room with like two people in it, that would be not super packed. So less dense or more dense. A good analogy for flying through more or less dense air is like swimming through more or less dense water. Again, we kind of talked about this already. Swimming through higher-density water like salt water in the Mediterranean Sea is easier than swimming in freshwater because you float more in the higher-density salt water. The same is true for aircraft and air aircraft perform better in higher density air there's basically more molecules to interact with the wings and create that lifting force the definition of density altitude is pressure altitude corrected for non-standard temperature so we talked about the use of density altitude is performance but technically what density altitude is it's strictly pressure altitude corrected for non-standard temperature and that gives us an idea of the density of the air and our performance another way to describe the altitude in the standard atmosphere corresponding to a particular value of air density a third way to describe it is that density altitude is simply just a measurement of density in the air that is converted into an altitude Just like pressure, the density changes with altitude. As the altitude increases, the density of the air decreases. But altitude is not the only thing that affects density. Things like temperature pressure, and humidity also affect the density of the air. So we want to take these into account to come up with an altitude that reflects the density in the air we are flying in. This is density altitude. Why do we want our density to be accurate? Well, this is because it changes our aircraft performance. Again, we talked about that. When the density of the air is decreased for an aircraft, the performance of the aircraft is negatively impacted in almost every way. So we use density altitude to calculate performance. Each time you use a cruise performance, climb performance, takeoff performance, or other chart from your POH, the first thing you do is correct for density altitude, or correct for non-standard temperature. This is the part where you find your temperature and match it with your pressure altitude. What you're doing here is you're converting to a density altitude without getting, like we rarely ever, other than the FAA written exam, might ask you calculate the density altitude using this chart, which we'll get to, but we rarely ever just calculate a density altitude. Instead, we convert to a density altitude inside the process of coming up with a performance number, like landing distance or cruise performance charts, for example. So it's sort of something baked into those performance charts, those equations for performance, something that we don't really see on the surface but it's important to know that that's what's happening when you're doing this. So when the density altitude is high, the air molecules are farther apart from each other. In other words, less molecules per volume equals less dense. This means the propellers have less air to cut through to create thrust, and the wings have less air to fly through to create lift, and the engine has less air to mix with fuel and burn inside the combustion chamber. The effects of less air molecules are precisely why pilots will lean the fuel to air mixture in their engines when up at altitudes. Since there are less air molecules flowing into the combustion chamber, the pilots decrease the fuel flow to match the airflow and keep a consistent and efficient burn. So if you've ever heard of a mixture ratio, that's the the ratio of air to fuel inside your combustion chambers. Now, there is a specific mixture ratio that will give you the best performance and best fuel efficiency. So when you climb altitudes and you don't touch your fuel flow, you're going to have the same fuel flow, but the air coming in is going to be less cuz that it's less dense air. So now that ratio of fuel to air has changed and you have more fuel than air than you did before and so you're not at that optimum mixture ratio. So you lean the mixture, you put in less fuel so that it now matches and you have that ratio still will match with the less dense air. So what causes the density of air to change? We kind of mentioned this briefly. Let's talk about it in more detail. Density can be changed by temperatures, humidity, pressure, and altitude. An increase in temperature causes a decrease in density. Temperature is a measure of the kinetic energy of molecules. That's kind of like kinetic energy is like how fast and how often they they move and bounce around. So temperature is a measure of that kinetic energy or how how much the molecules are moving around. Molecules are less tightly packed or less dense when they have more energy right so so when they're less dense, they have more energy because they can, they're less dense, they're not as tightly packed, they can move around more. So they have more kinetic energy. They can bounce, they can move faster, they can bounce off each other. They have more room to do that at. That's in less dense. So since a less dense provides more kinetic energy and temperature is a measure of kinetic energy, that means less dense equals more temperature or vice versa, more temperature equals less dense. More temperature promotes more moving, more spacing out and less dense. Right? So as you have more kinetic energy and, you, and more temperature, those collisions with those molecules are going to be more violent and they're going to bounce harder and farther off each other, sort of spacing those molecules out and expanding. So that's why you also get expansion with temperature increases. So more temperature equals less density because of, again, that kinetic energy and those molecules bouncing off each other. So again, finally, increase in temperature causes a decrease in density. That's the thing to go away from here. Higher temperature, less dense. Now the next one is increase in humidity causes a decrease in density. So same thing, where we saw a increase in temperature cause a decrease in density. Here we have an increase in humidity causing a decrease in density. And again, a decrease in density is bad for performance. So that's why we're saying it like this. So air is mostly filled with nitrogen N2 and O2 or oxygen molecules. Humidity is just a measure of the amount of water vapor in a volume of air. So again, I'm repeat that. Humidity is just a measure of the amount of water vapor molecules in a volume of air. When air is humid, the water vapor replaces the space taken up by nitrogen and oxygen, but water vapor has less mass. So basically, you take a volume of air, and when, let's say, the, a volume of air that is not humid, you have a bunch of N2 and O2 molecules, and then you go to a volume of air that is humid, you replace some of those N2 and O2 molecules with water vapor molecules. And we have a visual aid of this. We actually have a visual aid of everything we've been talking about so far. We show a less dense and more dense volume of air with tightly packed molecules. We have a cold air showing the kinetic energy in cold air molecules, and then the kinetic energy in hot air molecules. And now we have a visual of no humidity and humidity. And we show that how when it's humid, basically some N2 and O2 molecules are replaced with water vapor. So you just swap some N2 and O2 molecules with water Water vapor molecules and water vapor molecules have less mass than N2 and O2. Therefore, a humid volume of air has less mass and is therefore less dense than a non-humid volume of air. Again, remember, density is mass divided by volume. So if that mass at the top of that equation, mass divided by volume, if that top number goes down, the answer to that division is going to go down. So density equals mass divided by volume. So if let's say the mass is 10 and the volume is two. So you have 10 divided by two, we have a density of five. Now, if that mass goes down because we've replaced some of the N2 and O2 molecules with water vapor, Now that mass of air has gone from 10 to 8. Now 8 divided by 2, we have the same volume. 8 divided by 2 is 4. So our density went from 5. We replaced less massive water vapor in for N2 and O2. That decreased our mass. From 10 to 8, now our density has gone from five to four. So we're less dense because we have less massive molecules because we have more water vapor molecules that are less dense. (laughs) All right. Hopefully that made sense. Again, we have a visual of this. We say mass one, mass two, mass one is greater than mass two because mass two is humid and it's got those water vapor molecules that weigh less. All right, so that is humidity. We've gone over temperature, we've gone over humidity. Now we want to talk about pressure. A decrease in pressure causes a decrease in density. So this one's a little bit different. We're increasing in temperature and humidity cause a decrease in density. Now a decrease in pressure causes a decrease in density. So pressure and density go with each other, right? They're directly related. So when one goes up, the other goes up. When one goes down, the other one goes down. Now that's opposed to temperature and humidity, which are inversely related to density in that if they go up, density goes down. If they go down, density goes up. All so that's a key thing to remember because you might get asked, you know, does temperature, a rise in temperature decrease or increase your density of the air or does an increase in humidity decrease or increase your density and you'll remember that. So decrease in pressure causes a decrease in density. Pressure is the measure of the forces exerted on the outside of a container. Molecules are more tightly packed when under high pressure and less packed or less dense under low pressure. So again, best way to sort of look at this is a visual aid here, we have a volume of air that's less packed and it's under a pressure of 29.92 inches of mercury. Then we have a volume of air under a pressure of 30.92 inches of mercury and it's packing those air molecules in tighter causing an increase in density. So increase in pressure, increase in density, decrease in pressure, decrease in density. All right, the last one, which we already mentioned, but I just want to throw this in there. an increase in altitude causes a decrease in density. This is because the pressure and temperatures are also changing with altitude. So the most commonly, you know, as you go up in the air, the air molecules get less and less per unit volume. So the density is going to decrease with altitude. So it's just that's the easy one, right? As you go up in altitude, your density is going to decrease. Again, that is exactly why pilots lean their fuel mixture because you're getting less air. The air is less dense in there. So you want to decrease or lean your fuel. So in summary, a decrease in density can be caused by higher altitudes, lower pressures, higher temperatures, or higher humidity, and or all of these. So all those things can be happening at once, and all those are going to cause a decrease in density, which is what we care about is the decrease in density, because that's going to negatively affect our performance. A low density correlates to a high density altitude. This is where people get confused, okay? It's confusing, I know, but what it is trying to say is that a high density altitude means that the density of the air is as if we are flying at a much higher altitude, where the air density is lower. So we know that without a change in altitude, as we go up in altitude, right, a higher altitude means less density. So now let's get rid of altitude. There's other ways that can affect the density, right? We talked about a pressure, temperature, and humidity. So if those things lower the density, our density altitude actually goes up because it's as if we're flying at that higher altitude. So for example, let's say we're flying at 5,000 feet and the temperature is 50, or let's go 15 degrees Celsius. Okay. Now, if we were to increase that temperature from 15 degrees Celsius to 30 degrees Celsius, now don't do the math on me here. I'm just guesstimating. That'll increase our density altitude from 5,000 feet to a density of altitude of say 7,500 feet. So what that's saying is even though we're flying at 5,000 feet, it's as if we're flying at 7,500 feet because this increase in temperature has lowered our density so much that it's matches the conditions that we would find of the density of the air at 7,500 feet. This is really where where students get confused because they're like, okay, okay, we have lower density, but a higher density altitude. So make sure you know that those are inversely proportionate. So you got different things that interact with each other differently, right? You have density is opposite of density altitude. So if our density goes down, our density altitude goes up. If our density goes up, our density altitude goes down. And then you have things that affect density that are either directly or inversely proportionate, right? If temperature goes up, the density goes down, and therefore the density altitude goes up. If humidity goes up, our density goes down, and our density altitude goes up. If pressure goes up, our density goes up, and our density altitude will go down, okay? So it's just... These key relationships that you need to remember that will really help you to understand the concept of density altitude. High density altitude is bad, again, for aircraft performance in several aspects. Let's sort of summarize this. We have a little figure here that summarizes everything we just talked about, just side by side real quick so let's let's go ahead and do that for you here on the podcast high density altitude means the density of air is lowered the density is making it feel like high altitude high density altitude or low density can be caused by high altitude high temperature low pressure and high humidity high density altitude aka low density decreases aircrafts performance in engine combustion propeller efficiency and wing lifting capabilities because they have less air molecules to create those forces now on the other hand low density altitude. means the density of air is raised. The density is making it feel like low altitude. Low density altitude, aka high density, can be caused by low altitude, low temperature, high pressure, and low humidity. Low density altitude, aka high density, increases aircraft performance and engine combustion, propeller efficiency, and wing lifting capabilities because now you have more air to work with and create those forces with. Again, this is back to our example with flying in the Mediterranean Sea, or sorry, (laughs) swimming in the Mediterranean Sea. Don't fly into the Mediterranean. Sea. Swimming in the Mediterranean Sea, it has more salt content. It's more dense. So you float more. It's easier to swim in there. Same thing. It's easier to fly in the more dense air because you you have more floating. You make forces with those air and the, the propeller, the engine, all those forces are more easily created with that higher density air. A handy mnemonic device to remember what increases your density altitude and therefore negatively affects your performance is height, heat, humidity. So as we have more height or altitude, our density altitude goes up and our performance goes down. As we have more heat or temperature, our density altitude goes up, our performance goes down and as we have more humidity, our density altitude goes up and our performance goes down. So height, heat, humidity, all increase density altitude and negatively affect your performance. As a student pilot, you will check for density altitude when you plan your flight using the performance charts from your pilot operating handbook or approved flight manual. The charts for takeoff distance, landing distance, engine performance, fuel time, distance to climb, etc. all require you to know the temperature of the air you are flying through. Although you cannot see density altitude on any of these charts, using the combination of the temperature and pressure or pressure altitude of air will give you performance results for a single value of air density. So make sure you understand how to Use these charts and plan your flights accordingly, especially when you are flying to airports at a high altitude, high temperature, or high humidity. Again, heat, height humidity, those things negatively affect. So if you have any of those things, and especially if you have two or three of those things, you really want to be on the lookout for, you want to make sure you calculate your landing distances, your takeoff and climb performances, and make sure that you can clear obstacles, you can make the landing in time, you can make the takeoff in time at these airports where they have these things that negatively affect density altitude. And one of the questions that I tell my students to look out for on your check ride oral, these examiners like to give you situational-based questions they won't just straight up ask you what affects density altitude they'll say they'll look at your cross-country plan that you made for them your situation that the, you know mock fly that day and they're gonna say flight but usually that whole flight most of the time they they give you a scenario where you have to like go into somewhere that's hot somewhere that's humid or somewhere that's that's high in altitude or all three so they might kind of throw that in they might say something like you know in Florida you know our flight here in Florida it's in the summertime it's really hot It's really humid. What are some of the things we might want to think about during our flight? And that is, your head should, your alarms should go off in your head and just scream density altitude. That's what they're trying to get you to say. For me in California, they planned one to, you know, an airport near Big Bear uh, in the mountains in the Sierra Nevadas here in California. So it had a high altitude, right? And then if it was in the summer, it could have been hot too. So that was kind of the scenario they gave me. And my examiner asked, hey, you know, what do we want to look out for when maybe we land up here at a big bear? And it's like, well, okay, well, it's high. It might be hot because we're in the summer. So we want to look out for density. altitude. we want to check the, the runway distances, make sure that, that we can meet the performance requirements to land, take off, climb out, all that stuff. So be on the lookout for something like that if you are getting ready for your check ride. Now, I said that you're not going to directly convert to density altitude as a pilot. Maybe there's a situation I'm not thinking of where you, where you might, but more so you're going to be, that calculation is going to be baked into your performance calculations to, you know, get your landing distance or your climb performance or something like that. But on the FAA written, they might ask you to convert to density altitude. And they actually have a figure for it. I think it's figure eight in the airman, private pilot airman testing supplement. And it's a conversion that takes temperature and pressure altitude and converts to a density altitude. It also has a Graph on the side that can find your pressure altitude. So you can go from an altitude or an elevation, and then you get in the up-to-date altimeter setting, and you get the pressure altitude. So let's talk about how to use that chart and how to convert to a density altitude for the FAA written. So when making aircraft performance calculations for cross-country flight, you will use the performance charts in your aircraft POH or AFM. These performance charts start with you drawing a line up from the temperature and finding its intersection with the pressure altitude. At least for Piper Cherokee aircraft. Uh, Cessnas might have like a tabular format. Where you still will have to match a temperature with a pressure altitude. So that's what you're doing there. You're essentially, when you do that, you're converting to a density altitude without it, without knowing it. What you are really doing here is finding the density altitude. Just talked about that. We just aren't concerned with the actual number of the density altitude, but rather the takeoff distance or the climb performance or whatever part performance chart you're using. Okay, I've said that. On the FA written, you will be asked to find the density altitude directly. But don't worry, it's not that hard. They will provide you with the following chart. So if you're following along again, that's I believe that's fig Figure eight in the Airman Testing Supplement. If you guys don't have the Airman Testing Supplement, we link to it. It's a free PDF from the FAA. We link to it at the beginning of our ground school. I will link that in the show notes. I will also put a link to it on Amazon. You can get it for like 11 bucks. I highly recommend getting the one on Amazon because it's got all the charts too. So all your cross-country planning calculations when you got to measure with your plotter and stuff. It's really hard to do that on a PDF or computer screen. So, and we'll get into all that stuff in the cross-country planning episodes. But I really recommend just just paying the $11 to get it not not a lot of money, and it's the same exact book of figures you're gonna have on the F.A. written exam. So it makes sense to start getting used to it, know how to use it, and get used to the figures. So if starting with a pressure altitude, all you have to do is find the temperature on the outside air temperature axis at the bottom of the chart, and follow this temperature straight up to the intersection with your pressure altitude. So these pressure altitudes are gonna be diagonal lines. It's labeled pressure altitude. Diagonal lines with different numbers. So there'll be sea level, pressure altitude, 1,000 feet, 2,000 feet, 3,000, all the way up to like 14,000 feet on this figure. So you basically find your outside temperature on the X-axis, bottom X-axis, let's say it's 20 degrees. You draw a straight line up using the grid lines up to your pressure altitude. Say that's like 4,000 feet. At the intersection of that pressure altitude line and that vertical line you just drew from your temperature at the bottom axis, that intersection point, you're, just, you're gonna draw a straight line to the left. So horizontal line, straight to the left, to the left axis, where you will then read off density altitude. The density altitude, is on the y-axis the vertical axis on the left hand side that's what your end goal is so you use the temperature you match it up with a pressure altitude line at that intersection you then draw a straight line horizontal line to the left and where that meets that vertical axis, you then read it off. For example, it might read between the 4 and the 5, then you just judge how much between the 4 and the 5 is, and these are in thousands of feet. So if it's halfway between the 4 and the 5, that's 4,500 feet of density altitude. And we have, if you go back to when we talked about interpolation when we did the weather stuff we also had a lesson on how to read these charts and so if you if you want to check that out that episode out go back to interpolation and reading charts lesson can't remember which episode it was but just scroll back in the podcast listen to that there's a video on the show notes of that episode that shows you and I think we use this exact figure as an example so go check that out if that didn't make sense but you're gonna have to get used to this charting technique where you find something on an axis you follow it straight up. You intersect it with another line or axis, and then you draw it over to a third axis or measurement, I guess, and then get your answer there. So this is a technique they use for a lot of charts. So you're going to want to get used to to using that. So we have an example here in the online ground school, and we're big on examples, which you'll start to see now that we get into more calculations type stuff and more cross-country planning type stuff. I have a ton of examples, and I try to go step by step by step because I as a student pilot and me just as a student in general got so <laughs> angry and so upset when a teacher, like I get why they do it. They want you to work it out on your own, because if you work out something on your own, it's going to click a little bit faster for you. You're going to have your own way of doing it. But sometimes it's like, if you're not there explaining step-by-step how to do it or helping me answer my questions all the time, then how am I going to figure it out? So I always got really upset and annoyed that when they wouldn't provide step-by-step examples of how to do it, or they do an example and it would just be like the easiest example in the world, right? And it's like, okay, well, now every other question I get in the real world is not going to match this example, and I'm going to have no idea what to do. So that's why we're huge on examples here, and we have so many examples that, are again, are step-by-step. So let's do an example here. The figure below showed us an example with a pressure altitude of 7,000 feet and a temperature of 27 degrees Celsius, giving us a density altitude of approximately 9,700 feet. So what we do is we find 27 degrees Celsius on that bottom axis, and we draw a straight line using the grid lines up until we run into the pressure altitude line of 7,000 feet. At that intersection, we then draw a straight horizontal line to the left until it It intersects with the vertical axis on the left-hand side. That's our density altitude axis. And we read off our density altitude from that axis. And in this example, we end up about two-thirds of the way from the 9 and the 10. Again, those are in thousands of feet. So that's about 9,700 feet of density altitude. So that is a 2,700-foot increase from our normal standard temperature, our pressure altitude of 7,000 feet to 9,700 feet. This means your aircraft is flying as if it's in the air at 9,700 feet. Feet where the air would be less dense and have negative effects on the performance of your lifting device's propeller and engine combustion. So even though you're flying at 7,000 feet at a temperature of 27 degrees at that high of an altitude, you know that's a warm temperature for that high of an altitude. It's going to really affect the density of the air up there. So it's as if you're flying 2,700 feet higher, where again the density would be much lower on a normal standard day. All right. So if you aren't given a pressure altitude in this situation, then you'll have to use the table on the right. Side of the figure to convert to a pressure altitude, but you'll need to be given an altimeter setting. Then, once you have the pressure altitude, you can use the chart just as in the previous example to find a density altitude. Below is an example, so again, we're gonna do another example of converting from an elevation of 6,300 feet. So, let's say you're you know, you're landing or you're taking off at an airport that's way up there at 6,300 feet elevation, and on a standard day that would have a pressure altitude of 6,300 feet. But let's say it's not standard. Let's say the altimeter setting, instead of being standard at 29.92, is 30.2 inches of HG. So we have to convert to that pressure altitude using the table provided. So you can use, you can also use the pressure altitude conversion equation. So I'm kind of giving two examples here. You can use the chart, the graph in figure eight that the FAA provides. It's just a table. There's two columns. There is altimeter setting, and then there's pressure altitude correction factor. So you basically find your altimeter setting. So we're going to find 30.2 inches of mercury. And then, so we find that in one column. And then in the same row as 30.2 in the other column, we find our pressure altitude correction factor, which happens to be minus 257 feet. So we just add this to our elevation of 6,300 feet. So we're adding a negative number. So that's like we're subtracting a negative number. So 6,300 feet plus a negative 257 is the same thing as 6,300 feet minus... 257. that gives us a pressure altitude of 6,043 feet. So I mentioned that you can use an equation as well. This is more of an estimate. If on the FAA written, I recommend using this table because it is provided by the FAA. And if something is provided by the FAA on the FAA written, you should use that thing. But in real life, you could use this pressure altitude conversion equation to get pretty dang close. But again, go ahead and use that table on the figure with the two columns that we just talked about when you're on the FAA written because again, if the FAA is providing something and you're taking their test, it's a good idea to use the thing they provided. But what is this equation? It says pressure altitude equals elevation plus 1000 times the quantity of 29.92 minus your actual altimeter setting. So our altimeter setting is 30.2. So we do 29.92 minus 30.2 and that gives us a negative 0.28. We then multiply that by 1000 to get negative 280. We add that to our elevation of 6,300 feet. That gives us 6,020 feet. So that compared to using the table, which we got 6,043 feet is pretty dang close, right? So in real life, it's a good estimation tool to use that where you don't have to whip out this table. You don't have to interpolate all that. But again, like I said, I would recommend using that chart, that table on the FA written exam. All right, the last thing I wanna talk about here is how much effect does density altitude actually have on performance? So we've just dug down, we've battered in the fact that density altitude is bad for performance. You know, as the density altitude goes up, the density in the air goes down, and that's bad for performance. That's the 50th time I've said that. So how much of an effect does it have on performance, right? So to show this, let's look at some scenario, okay? So we'll do some examples and some scenarios to really drive home what this is, what real Life applications this actually has. All right, so in these scenarios, we are attempting to take off from a runway that is 2,000 feet long. So it's a short runway, so that's the goal. We got to take off in 2,000 feet. So in scenario number one, we have an elevation of this 2,000 foot runway of 1,500 feet MSL. We have a pressure of 30.00 inches of mercury, and we have a temperature of 45 degrees Fahrenheit. In scenario two, the pressure and temperature stay the same at 30.00 inches of mercury and 45 degrees Fahrenheit, but the elevation changes from 1,500 feet MSL to 4,500 feet MSL. So the difference between scenario one and two is a change, an increase in 3,000 feet of elevation. Scenario three is the same as scenario two, where it has that 4,500 foot MSL elevation. The pressure stays the same at 30.00 inches of mercury, but the temperature goes up 40 degrees Fahrenheit to 85 degrees Fahrenheit. So now the difference between scenario two and scenario three is an increase in 40 degrees Fahrenheit, but the difference between scenario one and scenario three is a 40 degrees increase in temperature and a 3,000 foot increase in elevation. So we're going to see for each one of these scenarios whether or not we'd be able to take off on that 2,000 foot runway. So in scenario one, we have an elevation of 1,500 feet, a pressure altitude, which gives us a pressure altitude of 1,427 feet. Again, we're using that 30.00 inches of mercury for our altimeter setting. That gives us a pressure altitude of 1,427 feet. And this, gives us a density altitude of approximately a thousand feet and a takeoff ground roll distance of 950 feet so we're going to use a piper cherokee performance chart here and that would allow us to lift off halfway down our short 2000 foot runway right so our takeoff distance is 950 feet our density altitude is a thousand feet our pressure altitude was 1427 feet so that's in scenario one which again was a temperature of 45 degrees, an elevation of 1,500 feet. All right, so in scenario two, we have only changed the elevation. Again, still a temperature of 45 degrees Fahrenheit, but now our elevation is 3,000 foot higher to 4,500 feet. So remember, density increases with altitude and elevation. So in this scenario, we have a pressure altitude of 4,427 feet. Again, we're using that, our elevation plus our altimeter setting and that table on on figure eight to convert to that pressure altitude. That gives us a density altitude of approximately 4,500 feet with our 45 degree Fahrenheit temperature. Again, using Piper Cherokee performance charts gives us a takeoff ground roll distance of 1,450 feet. So the increase of 3,000 feet in elevation increased our ground roll distance by over 50% from 950 feet to 1,450 feet. And it puts us dangerously close to that the end of that 2,000 foot runway, right? So if we have a slow run up, right? We, you know, maybe we didn't go full power right away or we didn't start at the very end of the runway or we need to like abort our takeoff like let's say right at the end we need to abort our takeoff so we have we now have to come to a complete stop that's going to be dangerously dangerously close we only have 550 feet to play with by the time we take off okay so for me that would not be enough i would probably I would say no thank you <laughs> and I would fly another day or, or just not fly into that airport. But there's plenty of pilots out there that do that. That's up to you. But again so a 3,000 foot increase in elevation increased our ground roll distance from 950 feet to 1,450 feet. Now in scenario three we have increased the temperature by 40 degrees Fahrenheit from scenario two. So and we're still at that high elevation right. So from scenario one we've increased now 3,000 feet in elevation and 40 degrees Fahrenheit. So our pressure altitude remains unchanged from scenario two at 4,427 because our pressure altimeter setting remained the same. But our density altitude is now approximately 7,000 feet. So in scenario two, our density altitude was 4,500 feet. So that 40 degrees increase in temperature from scenario two to scenario three increased our density altitude from 4,500 feet to 7,000 feet. And that leads us to a ground roll distance of 1,760 feet. So in summary, a 40 degree Fahrenheit increase in temperature added to 2,500 feet of density altitude, such that although we are taking off from an elevation of 4,500 feet, the density of of the air is as if we are taking off from an elevation of 7,000 feet. This increase in density altitude causes us to add another 210 feet to our takeoff ground roll distance. This would put us right near the end of the runway at liftoff from our short 2,000 foot runway. So now we only have about 240 feet to play with, and that's even less margin that we have for any air on our takeoff takeoff. So again, let's Go back one more time. Scenario one, we had a ground roll distance of 950 feet. Scenario two, we added 3,000 feet to our elevation, and that one, our ground roll distance went up to 1,450 feet. Scenario three, we added 3,000 feet to the elevation and 40 degrees Fahrenheit to the temperature, and that made our ground roll d- distance 1,760 feet. So that's sort of the real world implications of these different things like temperature or elevation or humidity. We could have done one with the humidity too that have an effect on density altitude now humidity there are some it's not common that student pilots will be asked to calculate the humidity factor and how much humidity changes the density altitude there are ways to do it i'm not going to cover it here but it's just another sort of factor that you want to look at the temperature you'll want to look at the elevation and if you add in high humidity as well then if you're already close to your limits then that that high humidity you know is really going to put the kibosh on your plans So each aircraft has a published performance service ceiling. A pilot should compare this service ceiling to a density altitude when planning a flight. A common FAA written question is to give you a scenario where you are planning a flight that requires passing over high terrain when you see that the density altitude during that time will actually be above your aircraft service ceiling. What should you do? The answer is to avoid the mountain and high density altitude and plan your route elsewhere. Service ceilings are given in feet and tell you that the aircraft is only designed to be able to perform up to those altitudes, but this ceiling assumes a standard day with standard atmosphere. This is why you should always Always compare your service ceiling to a density altitude and not an indicated or pressure altitude. Density altitude and service ceiling both speak the language of performance. The air you are flying through at a much lower altitude MSL may actually be worse for performance than your service ceiling if the density altitude is high because it is as if you are flying in a much higher altitude air where the air is much less dense. So I said before that you may not ever calculate a density altitude. I kind of want to retract that and say that that was an error because this is easy example of when you might want to do that so there might be a case when you want to calculate your density altitude if you know that it is a the temperatures are a lot warmer than normal the humidity is a lot warmer than normal at the temperatures you're planning to fly and cruise at or you wanna to reach to, to cruise and get over some terrain. And so you wanna compare that if that terrain's already close to your service ceiling, you wanna see, will that density altitude put you over that service ceiling because you're probably not gonna be able to get up there and you're gonna be flying dangerously close to that terrain. So that's why the FAA written, asked that again, that question that gives you a scenario where you're planning a flight requires you to pass over high terrain when you see the density altitude during that time is actually above your aircraft service ceiling. So what should you do? And the answer is plan your route elsewhere or at another time when the density altitude is not that high. All right. So we have a video that discusses all this stuff shows the images that we talked about to show things like humidity and density and all that stuff. And then even these different scenarios that we talked about, these real life scenarios to show the effect of density altitude. So I'm going to put that in the show notes as well for you guys. So go ahead and take a look at that for me. If this didn't make sense and you may have to listen to this a couple times or read through the online ground school lesson, see the visuals and even take the quiz. You know, that quiz can really tell whether you have your knowledge down. Remember, it's all about understanding the relationships, you know, how pressure, temperature, humidity affect the density of the air and how they're related and then how density is related to density altitude and thus your aircraft performance. All right, guys, I need a break from talking. So let's wrap it up there. But this is an exciting moment because this is the end of section seven. We finished another section here on the audio ground school podcast section seven of fundamentals of aerodynamics is done. Good riddance. No, just kidding. I think one of my favorite sections to learn about because I have that background in aerospace, but a very important thing to know as a pilot, you got to know how your aircraft's working and how it's flying. So very, very important. But now we're going to get into something that you probably didn't expect and to have right here. But I wanted to put it, I had to kind of put it later because I wanted us to get some fundamental understandings down before we talk about some of these things, because I feel like it's necessary to understand why these things are there. And these are limitations and regulations. So we've talked about some regulations, FAA, you know, pilot certifications, qualifications, regulations earlier in section three. We're going to do some more regulations as well as some limitations, because now we sort of understand why these limitations and regulations exist from the FAA, because they have to do with the fundamental stuff that we've learned, like aerodynamics, airspaces, weather, and all that stuff. So we'll get into that. That has 11 lessons. We'll start off with aircraft speeds, speed limits, and then get into Stuff like seat belts and harnesses and. And some random stuff like that. It'll be fun. Uh, but that is section eight. And then we'll be halfway through the online ground school. And if you're like, wow, only halfway through and we're like, what, 50 episodes in. Yeah, it's a lot of content. But the way we break it down into small bite sized episodes for you guys, I think helps a lot. You just got to do one day at a time. And it really is a good feeling when you pass your tests, you become a pilot and you just look back and you think, wow, I, I know all this stuff. That's pretty cool. I, I can tell you, you know, when you're watching your family's watching the weather you can understand what that high and pressure low pressure system symbols mean or you can you know you can explain why aircraft fly it's pretty cool stuff to know and it's important to know and so i know it's a lot but just keep at it you guys and do one day at a time all right so we'll talk to you guys next week remember get those applications in to the scholarship deadline is may 14th but we'll start section eight next monday with the next episode i'll talk to you then. Hey guys, it's Nick. I wanna take a second to speak directly to the student pilots out there. You might be a student pilot that is, you know, wondering what to do next, how to get started, or maybe you're looking for the right ground training or flight training, or maybe you've already started ground training or flight training and you're stuck, you're in a rut, and you're looking for a change, something to help get you out of that hurdle. From my own experience in flight training, after three years, five instructors and $22,000 and wanting to quit multiple, multiple times, And then now, after seeing hundreds and hundreds of student pilots through part-time pilot, I've realized that the number one thing that makes student pilots fail is that they do not have a good fundamental understanding of the ground training when they get to the more advanced flight lessons. Now, who here has seen Top Gun Maverick? Do you remember in the movie when he says, don't think, just do? Now, when I heard this, I was like, oh my goodness, this is brilliant because this is exactly what you have to be as a pilot. Now, of course, it's not that we're not thinking, but it's that we understand things like weather, aerodynamics, what our instruments are telling us, what ATC is telling us. We have such a good core fundamental understanding of these things that we don't have to think about them. And when we don't have to think about them, we can instinctively feel and fly the aircraft, look out for dangers and avoid emergency situations. fly a plane for the first time, everything's great and But Once you get into, you know, bad weather flying or flying at heavily trafficked airports or speaking with ATC for Bravo clearance or cross-country flight planning and flying solo on a cross-country flight, things get a little more advanced. And when this happens and you don't have a good understanding of the ground school concepts, you're going to hit a wall. You're going to start to get behind the aircraft. When this happens, Well, here comes part-time pilot. Again, I said, I went through my own experience of this and I realized that most flight training and ground training is not tailored to the modern day student pilot. When I say modern day student pilot, I just say modern day part-time student pilot because let's face it, there's a very small percentage of us that can go and dedicate 24/7, 365 to our flight training or not even miss a beat and be able to pay for flight training without working so most of us have a full-time job or maybe a part-time job we have kids, we have family, we have school we have all these other responsibilities on top of flight training and most of these flight trainings and ground trainings are not tailored towards you And so how is it the part-time pilot tailors to the modern day student pilot well the first way we do that is by keeping ground school interesting you want to avoid Or you can take our quizzes and practice tests to reinforce what you just learned, and then finally you can join us live weekly for our live Q&A and our live lessons, so you can see in real time these things taught out and these examples done in real time. And then finally, you can utilize our group community to form study groups, get questions answered 24/7. All of this is tailored for the modern-day student pilot to keep ground school interesting, keep it from being boring. Keep from having that burnout, and to find ways that you can consume the content throughout your busy schedule. And guess what? It works. We've had over 350 student pilots come through, take and pass their FAA exams without a single student failing. That's right, a single student has yet to tell me that they failed either their FAA written or their FAA checkride. So that is just proof in the pudding right there that our concepts. The way we explain things in plain written English and the way we give you multiple ways to consume this content is working. So if this sounds like something you might be interested in and you want to come join us, we'd love to have you. Just go to www.parttimepilot.com, click on Online Ground School, and we'll see you inside the Online Ground School. Thanks for listening, and I'll see you guys next week.